Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. As we are in week, I believe, four of our series, Name Calling, and we'll conclude it uh, next week. And as you're turning there, uh, there's lots of stuff going on in our world. One of the things that disturbs me the most is the way people are starting to see themselves. And so many times, our kids, I don't know if you, you have this problem in your household, but you know, when I was growing up, the only way I could see myself was in a mirror or if somebody happened to take a picture on a disposable camera. Then they would drop that camera off at Walgreens or uh, Walmart or some photo developing place. And you had to wait a while, get those pictures just to see what you look like. Now we're in a selfie generation where kids can literally instantly see themselves on a photo. And if you're cursed like our family, they have TikTok. Where it's not only a selfie, it's a selfie dance. And most of us, our African-American community, this is not for you. The rest of us. There is no reason for you ever to take a selfie of yourself dancing, ever. (laughs) And so what all this this photos are seeing ourselves is doing, it's creating a self-concept. A self-concept is basically this, it's it's who you see yourself to be, or your abilities, or your failures, or who you see. And so when you see yourself in a a mirror, or maybe even in a, a TikTok video, or in a selfie, what do you see? What do you see when you see yourself? Because this is what they say self-concept is. Self-concept is a perception you have of your image, your abilities, and in some ways a perception of your own individual uniqueness. And what's important about that is how you see yourself many times determines how you live out your life. That many psychologists believe your self-concept will lead to the behaviors of your life, that you'll choose what to do and what not to do based on how you see yourself. If you see yourself in a good light, you usually choose good behavior. If you see yourself in bad light, you usually have less restraint for making decisions. If you see yourself as an addict, you'll make decisions of an addict. How you see yourself is vitally important. So much so in the the mid-60s, the Pygmalion effect, researchers took a bunch of kids, they tested them. They tested them on like an IQ style test and they broke the kids up in two groups. And the groups are randomly selected, but they told the teachers, and in some cases told the students, hey, this is the good class. This is the high achieving students. So they're telling the teacher, you're blessed with these high-achieving students, not knowing they're actually the low-achieving students. Then the other group, they told this teacher, this is the low-achieving students, even though they're they're high-achieving students. And the students both thought they were the opposite. And so they go through the whole school year, they take the test again, and the low-achieving students, who the teacher thought they were high-achieving students, all of their grades skyrocketed forward. In the other group, which was high-achieving students, that the teacher thought they were low-achieving students, their grades plummeted. Why? Because the teachers viewed them differently 
based on prior knowledge. The students started looking at themselves differently and thought, I'm a bad student, I can never do better. They started seeing themselves differently and started behaving differently. One of the things that we've, we've talked about at the Dream Centers, we have a student whose grades were just terrible, just outright terrible grades. And all, almost all the students in our Dream Center Academy, their grades have increased at least 20% in at least one subject. Incredible. One student has increased more than 20%, but he's went from a five to a 50 in reading. So you'd say, well, that's not very good. 45 percentage points is amazing. And what we found out was the reason his grades were bad was because he has the inability to read. And, and some teacher or some parent just thought, he's a stupid kid, we'll put him in a room or, or put him with this class of low achieving students, making him start to believe he's just not smart, when in reality, he's brilliant, he's just lacking the foundation he needs to succeed. In the same way, how you see yourself will determine how you live out your life. Adrian Rogers, one of the great preachers, says, the me I see is the me I'll be. The me I see is the me I'll be. Touch your neighbor and repeat after me. Say, the me I see. And touch your other neighbor and say, is the me I'll be. And then wipe off that coronavirus real quick. It's that important. The me I see is the me I'll be. And so people see us in all types of light, in all types of ways. But you know what? God sees you in a certain light. God sees you and, and God knows who you can be. But many of us don't know how God sees us, and so we live out our lives below the potential that God created us with. And my job as a, as a pastor is to help you come into alignment with how God sees you. That's the reason I preach. I'm trying to get you to come into alignment with how God sees you. Because once you come into alignment with how God sees you, you'll be who God has called you to be. If you would, stand to your feet. Let's read 1 Peter 2. 9 and 10 again. Peter again talking, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and then what? A holy nation. I don't know how you describe yourself, but you know, I've been in rooms where people are like, hey, what's your name, what do you do, how do you describe yourself? I never said, well, I'm Bobby Gorley, I'm married to Toya, I have four uh, amazing kids, and I'm holy, in case you didn't know. I I've never used that word to describe myself, but it's amazing that's one of the three words that Jesus uses to describe you by. He calls you holy. He calls you a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls you holy. Do you get He literally calls you holy. Touch your other neighbor who doesn't have coronavirus and tell them, God calls me holy. Like, he calls you Holy. He doesn't say in this scripture, you sinful, decrepit, depraved, nasty, filthy sinner. He says, no, you are holy. It's amazing how God talks and how the rest of the world talks. Father, we thank you. First and foremost, just for your blessings of your presence in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We thank you for your voice. We thank you for your presence. I pray that you stir the hearts of every person in this room to be receptive soil for your word. 
Father, we ask that you just pour a blessing into this place, that you allow for our minds to be transformed from how we see ourselves to seeing ourselves the way you see us. So, Father, I pray you bring transformation in this place this morning, and we bless you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The me I see is the me I'll be, and Jesus calls me holy. The problem with that is we don't live in a, in a church culture or most of us don't hear much about holiness at all. And we grow up in the Bible Belt where we hear songs or we hear people say things like this. Well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Which is really like, oh, shucks, I'm nothing special. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And what they're really saying is, nothing much has changed. I'm just an old sinner and thankfully I, I met Jesus and I'll get to go to heaven at some point. Bill Gaither even wrote a song called, I'm a Sinner Saved by Grace. The problem with that is it is wrong. Sorry, Bill Gaither. It is bad theology and it is wrong. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You were a sinner who was transformed by grace. See, when you start saying, well, I'm just an old sinner, you, you, if you think you're a sinner, you'll keep on sinning. But if you realize you are transformed by grace, you'll start living towards grace and away from sin. When you start to, I'm just an old, it sounds good. Oh, brother, how are you? I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You know what we call that? False humility. And what you're saying is you're limiting your salvation to getting a ticket to heaven. And you're limiting the power of the gospel to just forgiveness of sins and not realizing that Jesus didn't just die to forgive you of your sins. He died to transform you and to make you a new creation in Christ. It's a transformation gospel, not just a salvation gospel. And so we have these great songs. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And you start training yourself that you're going to mess up. You start training yourself. Well, it's, um, none of us is perfect. None of us, none of us is righteous. All those scriptures about there's none righteous in Christ, none. Those are all talking about before salvation. All of them. And and so your perception of how you see yourself, you see yourself, I'm just an old sinner. You're going to walk in the ways of sinners. If you see yourself as the righteousness of Christ or as holy unto the Lord, you'll start walking in a way that's a little more holy. It's like the old farmer. If if you've ever been to an old cattle farm, pastures muddy, there's cow patties all over the place. If you don't know what a cow patty is, you have not lived life yet. You haven't lived till you picked up an old dry cow patty and threw it at your little brother. Like, that's the glory days. <laughs> the kids now make TikTok videos. We played with cow manure when I was growing up. You walk past, there's mud everywhere. There's cow manure everywhere. It's dirty. It's nasty. And so if you're an old farmer and you've got your overalls on, you've got your work boots on, and you're walking across that cow pasture, you don't really care if you get muddy. You don't really care where you step because you know once you get back to the barn, you can wash it off. You can spray it off. You can take off the overalls and get clothes on underneath. For many of you, that's how you view your Christianity. That you, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. If I mess up, you know, I'm going to mess up. I can just go to church on Sunday and wash it up. So you live all week long walking through the cow patties of life, through sin, through addiction, through fear, through work, through all these sinful behaviors, you walk through life and you just think, on Sunday, I'll just get it all washed off again. But if you're that same farmer and you're on your way to, say, church on Easter Sunday, and you got your Easter best on, or you're a 
High school kid, you're on your way to prom, and you got on that nice, it's after Memorial Day, before Labor Day, you got on the white pants, white patent leather shoes. Or girls, you're on your way to a wedding, and you got on a nice floral dress with some four-inch stiletto heels. When you walk across that cow pasture, I promise you, you're going to watch where you step. You're going to step around mud puddles. You're going to step around cow patties. You're going to step around spots that look like you're going to get it. Why? Because you see the value in what you're wearing. Therefore, it changes the way you walk. If you think I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, you just think you can walk through life and I'll just wash it back up. But when you realize you are the holiness of Christ, it will change the way you walk in life. I'm sick and tired of Christians living below the standard Jesus died for you to have and to live because you've listened to these false preachers telling you you're still a sinner. He says in the scripture, you are holy. You are a royal priesthood. You are his. Why? To proclaim his excellencies. And the me I'll see is the me I'll be. So if I see myself as holy, I'll walk through life a little bit differently. When there's an opportunity for bitterness or offense, I'm going to walk around that. When there's an opportunity to, to look at a woman lustfully, I'm going to walk around that. Why? Because I realize who I am and what God has done in me and for me. Why? God is a holy God. And he's looking to make a holy people. He's a holy God looking to make a holy. What does holiness mean? I know it's a, it's a word that's not... It's totally in tune with our vocabulary. What does holiness mean? Holiness means separated from sin in the world and devoted to God's glory and honor. That's all it means. If you hear the word holy in the Bible, it means it's separated from the world. I mean, it's totally different. Separated from the world, all for the purpose of God's glory. God is a holy God. And he's looking for a holy people to live with him forever and ever in a place called heaven, which is holy. Like that's the whole part. The word holy, you can't read the Bible and not encounter the word holy. Over 600 times the word holy is mentioned in the Bible. So over 700 times if you count words like holiness. Over seven, so it means more than likely you're gonna encounter the word holy. Most of you on the front of your Bible, it says, what? Holy Bible. Even if you haven't read the inside, you just have it sitting on your bookshelf, you're gonna see Holy. Why? God is a holy God looking for, uh, to make a holy people. Why? Because he's holy. And if you're going to be with him, you have to be holy. The Old Testament, he's trying to show us and demonstrate and teach us through the, through the Old Testament covenant tabernacle. He says, I need a holy people. So he makes the priests, and he ordains them, sets them apart from the world, devotes them to himself. Now that's his holy people. And he says, I'm going to put you in a holy land, right? Canaan, the promise on holy land. He said, I want you to worship me with these holy utensils, these holy objects in this holy place that we call the tabernacle or temple. And I want you to live according to this holy law. Why? To demonstrate that everything God has is holy. You get to heaven, the Old Testament, you see the tabernacle is a reflection of heaven to show us on earth what heaven looks like. You get to heaven, everything's holy. God is holy. There's holy creatures we call angels. The inhabitants of heaven are called the holy Saints, the cherubim are, are flying around God's throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Everything in heaven has the word holy written on it. 
Everything. Why? Because God is a holy God. Anything he's associated with is holy. If you're a son, you're his daughter, you are holy. Why is that such an important detail? Because nothing unholy can be in the presence of anything that's holy. And I need you to get this. If God is holy, anything that's unholy cannot be in his presence. Why? Unholiness is like a it is sin. It's like a disease. It taints things. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you this is my own little theology of hell. And I know hell is not a popular subject. But if you get this, it'll change the way you live your life and the way you reach people who are lost around you. See, we think in our modern, you know, we've outsmarted God. God is such a loving God. God, God could never send anyone to hell. Jesus didn't talk much about it. Jesus is the one who said there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was not an old school preacher. That was actually Jesus. And the reason we no longer hear about hell is because we lost the word holy from our vocabulary. See, if you look at hell, it's not as, as God punishing somebody or sending somebody away, but as God protecting that which he loves or that which is holy. See, there's one time in heaven where God is holy, heaven is holy, and one person became unholy. And God, in order to protect heaven, to make sure it stayed safe, he kicked the unholiness out of heaven. And we call him Satan. Why would he kick Satan out? If he's so loving, if, you know, if everybody's good, why would he kick him out? Because he realized if he kept unholiness in heaven, then heaven would become like hell. And if you don't have a choice, everything is hell. At least if you have a choice, heaven is good, hell is still unholy. So what does that mean? Hell is like a quarantine for anything unholy. What is a quarantine? It's a place where you take something that's tainted or diseased or sick and you put it away or lock it away. Why? Not because I hate you, but because I'm trying to protect that which is healthy. I love that which is healthy. I don't want this to get tainted. We see that now. Now coronavirus going around, now all of a sudden, we have liberal cities like San Francisco, a sanctuary city, where anybody can come here, anybody you want, we won't press charges, we won't do anything, and all of a sudden they're gonna set up a quarantine for coronavirus in, around San Francisco. Whoa, no, 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 no. Anything but that. Why? Why? Because they're trying to protect their people from a disease they think will hurt them. And I wanna tell you, Sin is a much more powerful, sickly, and deathly disease than coronavirus could ever dream about. And so in order for God to protect his people, his children, his sons, his daughters, to protect them in, in, in a pure, perfect, holy environment, he creates a quarantine to separate anything that's unholy to prevent it from coming into the holy. That's a loving God. Like when you realize God is, hell is not existing because he hates anybody. It's because he loves his children. And so when you realize that, that God is this holy God and it's the basis of who he is and he calls you holy, the point of the gospel is not just to get you saved. The point of the gospel is this, to make you holy enough to enter heaven and make you holy enough for heaven or the Holy Spirit to enter you. That's the purpose of the gospel. It's not just so you can get your ticket to heaven and hopefully get rid of some guilt in your life. It's God wanted to transform you from a sinner to a saint. He wanted to make you holy enough that you could be with him forever and ever in his home, in his residence that is holy. And he can't let anything unholy come in. So the only thing he can do is make you holy. 
holy enough that his very presence, his spirit can live on the inside of you. Why? Because he made you holy from the inside out. That's a good God. That's a powerful God. And so you have to learn this. This is point number one. Jesus not only removes the guilt of sin, he breaks the power of sin off your life. See, he doesn't just remove the guilt of, of your sin. And that's what we think. Well, you know, I just need forgiveness of my sins. No, you need to be, have the power of sin broken off of you. If not, if you just get forgiven, you'll probably do it again. But if he breaks the power of sin, it sets you free. And God is not a God that just keeps on forgiving and lets you stay in the same cycle. God wants to see you free and delivered and full of hope and full of life. He didn't want to see you get saved and nothing changes. He wants to see everything change when you're transformed by the gospel. Everything. See, it's a gospel of transformation. And this is what it, the word regeneration is the word I want to use for salvation. It's, regeneration is a momentary act bringing a person from spiritual death to spiritual life. So regeneration means something is changing. Something is transformed from death to life. Jesus in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, he said, well, how can a man enter heaven? He said the only way he can enter heaven is to be born again. Why? He needs to be regenerated or given new life, go from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's not saying, well, he just needs to be an old sinner saved by grace. No, he's saying he needs to go from sinner die to being a sinner and be born again as a holy saint of God or as a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, great scripture, says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. He didn't write, well, if anyone's in Christ, he's just an old sinner saved by grace. He said the old has passed away and the new has come. What he's saying is, Jesus says, I'm not just forgiving you your sins, I'm making you a new person. And regeneration means new life. It means you don't have to fix up your old life, you don't have to try to change your old life. He said, I'm giving you a new life, I'm breaking the power off your old life, I'm letting you die to that and letting you be born again to something new. We call that in theology, positional holiness. Positional holiness is this that now God sees you and views you and declares you as holy on the inside. It's the inside working of the Holy Spirit to make you a new creation in Christ, and that new creation is in the image of Jesus who is holy. That's why you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? If, if you're still unholy on the inside, if you're just an old sinner saved by grace and nothing's changed, then the Holy Spirit of God can't set up a throne in your heart because now it's holy and unholy and they'll never cohabitate together. And so positional holiness is what he's saying in the scripture is now Jesus sees you. When he sees you, he doesn't see you for your past. He doesn't see you for your, your failures. He doesn't see you for your shame. He now sees you from the inside out and he sees you as holy. He views you as holy. He declares you as holy. He looks at you as holy. He, his relationship with you is, is you are holy. You're positionally holy. You're set apart as being holy to him. It's like this. that Before you're saved, everyone else looks from the outside in. They look at your works. They look at your life. They look at your efforts. And they judge you based on that. The moment you're born again, the outside may be lagging behind, but the inside is washed and clean. Like this cup. So before you get saved, the inside of your life, the inside of your spirit is sinful. It's dirty. It's evil. 
And so you do bad stuff because there's bad stuff on the inside. And so the whole Old Testament, the law, kept trying to clean the outside of the cup. So if this cup was dirty on the inside, it doesn't matter how clean the outside of the cup is, you still don't want to drink the water. I've been to places in the world, they brought me a cup of water, and I said, that cup is clean, but that water is not. You don't want to drink it. And what happens is if you clean the outside of the cup, but something happens, life happens, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're coaching a basketball game and the referees are terrible and life starts getting, and you get shaken and that comes out, guess what? The outside of the cup is dirty again. Why? Because the inside's dirty. And so Jesus says the only way to fix this, we can't just keep cleaning the outside of the cup. He says, I'll give you a new life in him, meaning you die to yourself. So you pour out the old life, that's your baptism, and he pours in new life into you. So now the inside of the cup is clean. So now if you mess up, you don't have to mess up, but if you do, it should be good stuff coming out of you. So if anything is dirty on the outside, that's your fault. God sees the inside of the cup, and he says, I see them as holy, as clean. That's why he can tell the woman at the well. Everybody quotes, oh, the woman at the well, the first one without sin, you can, you can cast the first stone. Jesus looks up, everybody's gone, the woman's sitting there and her distraught. Jesus says, where are your accusers? She says, I, I, I don't know, they left. He says, neither do I condemn you. What did he say after that? He said, now go and sin no more. That's the words of Jesus. So why would Jesus tell a woman who just sinned to go and sin no more? He could not be telling her to do something that was not possible. So if he told her, I want you to go and sin no more, meaning he's saying, you now have the power to no longer sin. He's saying, I've cleaned the inside of the cup. Now it's your job to protect the outside of the cup. Because what happens is, if you start losing sight of what's going on on the inside, you'll start letting the outside fall apart as well. Romans 6, 11, I'm gonna gonna read it to you. Romans 6, chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse one, I think. It says this, this is Paul talking. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Meaning, you know, grace is, this is the song. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. It feels good to be forgiven of my sins. Some of y'all do that every single Sunday. It feels good. I'm just, I'm just showing God's glory by receiving his grace again. He says, should we do that? He said, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his Death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, what? The old sinner saved by grace, the old sinner, the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we may no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Praise God. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, what? Dead to sin and alive to God. Why? Because you've been regenerated. 
The moment you get saved, the old you passes away and God bursts something new. And what he bursts is not just an old sinner has been washed up. He bursts a man, a woman, walking through the pastures of life, not in coveralls, be washed up, walking in a holy white tuxedo, patent leather shoes, a white dress, high heel stilettos, walking through life, protecting the way they walk. Why? Because the me I see is the me I'll be. He declares you as positionally holy. So if he sees me as holy, I should begin to learn to live holy. So Jesus not only saves me from sin, he saves me to holiness. This is another detriment of the, of the Southern Bible Belt gospel. We think, well, Jesus saves me from my sins. No, he saves you from your sins to something. God doesn't just save you and leave you there. He saves you from your sin or from the penalty of sin into or towards holiness. Once you're dead to sin, before you couldn't be holy. You could try, you could work, you could put forth effort, but you could never obtain it. Then he washes you and cleanses you from the inside out. Now he says, now you can do it. Now I give you the power that you can actually live. He's called you to be holy. Touch your name and say holy. Why? Because if God is holy and he's wanted you to be his child, be created in his image, you should be holy as well. We call this practical, practical holiness. So you have positional holiness, which is God sees me as holy. That's the inside job. That's the Holy Spirit's inside work in me. But then you have practical holiness, which is the outside work. That's my job. It's my job to take care of the outside of the cup. I, I can clean up the outside of the cup, but it's God's job to take care of the inside. And this is practical holiness. Practical holiness is the result of working our, out our inward salvation. I mean, I'm working what God did on the inside outward into my life, into my behavior, into my relationships, meaning I'm working out my salvation into the outward parts of my life. That is when you, you begin to see the outward behavior reflecting the inward transformation God put in you. So practical holiness is when my outside, my outward behavior, my language, maybe even the music I'm listening to, maybe the TikTok videos I'm making, how you respond to conflict, how you respond to, uh, to adversity, how you respond to offense. My outward behavior should reflect my inward transformation. Meaning if I've been made holy on the inside, if I, I'm a white tuxedo on the inside, then I should start living like it on the outside. So if regeneration is new life, then this part, this is sanctification, it's new growth. Regeneration gives me new life, but you can't stay a baby. You can't stay a baby forever. You have to grow into maturity in Christ. That's sanctification. Sanctification where you start to grow into the holiness on the outside of your life that's already been placed on the inside. It's an ongoing work. Your outside holiness is the fruit of your inside holiness. Meaning as you've been transformed, it should start producing a change on the outside. Some of you, and this is, this is a legit question. Some of you, you've been saved for years and nothing has changed. So the question would be, why? Either you didn't truly get transformed by the gospel, or two, you're fighting against the work of the Holy Spirit in your life currently. Both actually diminish the value of the gospel. 
When you say I've been transformed, but you're not transformed, you diminish the power of the gospel. If you have been transformed, but your life still looks like your old life, you're actually diminishing the power of the gospel, and it's up to you. God does the inside work. You have to do the outside work. God gives you new life. You have to start walking that new life out. You may say, well, the regeneration, the new life is, is new life, but sanctification is a new direction. God has a new direction for you to go. You shouldn't be going back in this. The whole word repentance means to, to change from and to, meaning I'm going from sin towards Jesus. I'm going away from the pigsty towards my father's house. There should be a change or transformation on the outside that reflects what God has done for me on the inside. Practical holiness is the result of what God has done for us in Christ. We may, must now live out what he's done for us on the inside. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 8 says this, for this is the will of God. Everybody say will of God. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? No, no Joel Stein jokes around. The, the, the purpose and the will for God of God for your life is not for you to be in ministry. It's not for you to own a business. It's not for you to be the next superstar on, on The Bachelor. Please don't. Go to the Bachelor, Bachelorette, whatever the show is this week. This is what, for this is the will of God. This is God speaking. Say, this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Your sanctification. Meaning your growth in holiness. And this is actually what he says. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Not in the passion of of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called you for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says, this is God's will for your life your sanctification, for you to become holy on the outside like he did through the Holy Spirit on the inside. He actually said, this is your calling, to be holy. So why are you pursuing everything else except for holiness? I I would say it this way. As you pursue holiness, God will open up doors for greater callings and ministry and purposes. But until you get this right, God can't open the door. Dr. Kendall, one of my mentors, said this way. He said, the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. The worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. Why? Because usually they may have something happen on the inside, but if they haven't applied that to the outside and they haven't matured in holiness, and if they have a little bit of success, they'll start justifying their lack of holiness with their success. And they'll say things like, well, I know, I'm, and we've seen this on, on a large scale. Well, I know the, pa- he, the pastor's sleeping around. The pastor's stealing money, but God's still using. They'll justify, well, no, I'm still doing big things for God. God will have grace to, you know, cover this up. Why? Because you bypass your first calling, which is holiness. And when you bypass your first calling, you start manipulating the things of God for the benefit of the people or the man of God. I had a guy a couple years ago, brokenhearted. He, he came to the office. He'd been in a drug rehab for three days, three days. And he'd already left. And he came to my office. He said, hey, he's like, you know, I'm good now. I'm good now. I had, a, I had an experience with God. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, man, that's great. 
Good job. He says, I don't need to go back to rehab. I said, you need to turn around and take your rear end right back to rehab. He says, but I had an experience with God. And now I know I have the ability, I have the power to, to do it. I said, I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying you may have the ability, but you don't have the skills. And I said, when you're in rehab, you, you may get the power, but they're going to teach you the skills that you're going to need to apply the power that God has now given you. It's like this. You may be a carpenter. and You may have the power to build a house, but if you don't have the right tools, it doesn't matter what power you have. And so you may have the power of being a new person or a new creation in Christ, but holiness is building up the skills of maturity to handle the power of God in your life. And also it's what displays the glory of God. What good does it do if God creates on you a new inside, but your outside is filthy and disgusting? What glory does it give God that you say, oh man, I got saved, I got transformed, like I'm a new person in Christ and da, da, da. And they're looking at your life and they're like, I can't see it. I still see the same person I went to high school with. I still see the same stuff on Facebook that all the crazy people. That's what this scripture is talking about, 1 Thessalonians. He's saying the Gentiles live like that. He's saying on the outside, you look like a Gentile. He said on the inside, you may be holy. Let's make those two line up because you're distracting people from the grace and the power of God. Years ago, 300 years ago, there was monks in, in Siam, which is way up north I think in, in Thailand or China, one of the places, and they had a, built a 10-foot golden Buddha statue. 10 foot in today's money would be worth $200 million. Weighed two and a half tons. They were getting overtaken by a foreign army. In order to protect this, this huge statue, they covered the statue literally in 12 inches of clay. So when this army came in and they took over, they killed every single one of the monks. And they saw this huge clay statue. And they thought, it's just, a, you know, it's just a clay statue, no reason to take it. So they leave. 300 years later, the statue was still there. And some archaeologists came by, and they wanted to move the statue to protect it. And they put a crane around this statue. And when they start picking the statue up, it starts to crack, right? Because there's 12 inches of clay on the outside of this golden statue. It starts to crack. And so they set it back down to figure out how to, how to handle it. But at this point, now it's on the outside of this little roof-type structure. So it happens to be it starts to rain. As it starts to rain, the clay starts to get wet. As the clay starts to get wet, it starts to fall off the statue. And they start seeing little gleaming of light. And one of the guys gets a flashlight, goes underneath this little curtain. He starts looking up in there. He starts seeing more light. And they pull this curtain off, and they look, and they start seeing little gold. And they start scraping off 12 inches of clay to find underneath this gold statue. What happened was the world, the dirt, the clay was distracting people from the beauty and the value that was on the inside. So when you live a life that's not practically holy, you distract people. You distract lost people who are looking for a walking, living miracle of God. You distract people who are looking for Christians who are actually doing who they say they are or being who they say they are. You're distracting people from the beauty of God's grace by caking the world onto the outside of you. And God says, if we could start, sanctification is the process. We're starting to strip off those layers on the outside, starting to chisel off that clay and that dirt from the outside so people can see the new you. And the new you is holy. 
The new you is valuable. The new you is set apart. The new you is God's glory. The new you is God's new creation. The new you is a son and daughter of the Most High God. The new you is a citizen of heaven. The new you, God calls a saint. The new you, if you can see the new you beyond the layers of dirt, if people could see the new you, we'd have the move of God we're praying for. But everyone in the world is looking for the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to look and all they see is clay statues standing around. And God says, I'm calling for a movement of holiness where the outside of my people begin to look like the inside of my people. I'm a, he's asking for a new movement where people can see the glory of God through the golden statues of new creations in Christ. People that don't look like the world, but look like Jesus. So you are set apart. You are chosen. You are holy on the inside. But I'm telling you, this scripture in 1 Thessalonians, God is saying, this is his will for your life. Your holiness to be set apart. Your sanctification to start letting the inside affect the outside. To start letting the outside reflect the inside. And when you do, I promise you, you'll start living up to your standard in Christ. You'll start inheriting the things of the kingdom of heaven. You'll start seeing the miracles of God all around your life. You'll start seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You'll start seeing the gifts of the Spirit in your life. You'll start seeing the power of the Spirit in your life. Why? Because God uses holy vessels. Father, we thank you in this place for a God who doesn't just wash us up, but a God who renews us and changes us from the inside out. And Father, I thank you for every person in this room who is called by your name, that has been made new in Christ, who is now holy. I pray they can begin to see themselves the way you see them. That you align their vision of themselves, their self-concept of themselves with your concept or your view of themselves. And they'll start walking through the cow pastures of life in a way that demonstrates their value. They'll walk around sin. They'll walk around offense. They'll walk around betrayal. They'll walk around hatred. They'll walk around conflict. And they'll begin to walk in a way that glorifies the Lord and Savior who saved them and delivered them and transformed them. But Father, right now, I just pray for a convicting of your Holy Spirit in this place. A convicting of your Spirit upon every life who thinks that the outside of their life does not have to reflect the inside. That have done everything possible to not be sanctified. That actually take away from the beauty and the power of your gospel by having the outside of the cup tainted with sin, tainted with failures, tainted with abuse, and let them change their life from I'm an old sinner saved by grace to I'm a holy saint of God living from his grace. So Holy Spirit, I pray as you convict every intentional sin in this place, every habitual sin in this place, every single lifestyle that goes directly opposite of their standard in you. I pray as you convict them, it breaks off layers of clay and dirt off their lives. And I pray as you convict them, you comfort them to rise up into the standard you called them 
and you died for them to have. I pray you begin renewing their life from the inside out and allowing the outside to begin to reflect the inward transformation. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There's people in this room today. Maybe you, you raised your hand at some point in your life, but there was never a transformation that took place. The outside of your life still looks exactly like it did before you met Jesus. Maybe the only thing that changed was you started coming to church every once in a while. We're not talking about church attendance. We're talking about holiness. He said, you know what? Maybe I said yes to Jesus. Maybe I said yes, I need forgiveness of sins, but I never allowed him to break the power of sin in my life. And today's the day I just, I, I lay my life down before him. I die to myself. I repent of my sins and I allow for him to make me a new creation in Christ. One who is holy, one who is set apart. And I want to start walking my life out day by day to demonstrate what he's done on the inside of me on the outside of me. If that's you, not going to have you come forward, not going to have you stand up, but if that's you, so that's me, I just want you to slip your hand up real quick so I can pray for you. If that's you, say, so you know, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. After you put your hands up, you can put them down. Father, we thank you for your spirit. And right now, I pray for every hand that was raised, Father, is acknowledging that you are Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray right now for a quickening of your spirit within them, to renew them, to transform them, and to change them from the inside out, to give them their new life in Christ, a new creation, a new focus, a new purpose. But also, Father, I pray you give them the motivation, the passion for a new direction and a new behavior. Father, allow them to walk out the transformation on the inside, on the outside. Surround them with people that encourage them and strengthen them and help them be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be the holy people you've called them to be. So we bless you. We thank you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.